So John and Peter heal lame man, and they get in trouble for it. It's Acts 3 and 4. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaders say, By whose power, authority, or in whose name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, I will tell you, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the one that you crucified. But he rose again. The Pharisees, they were so upset, then they commanded Peter and John not even to preach ever again in the name of Jesus. But the response was very simple. Over 5,000 men, not counting women and children, of course, believed the truth as these guys were put in jail. But he reminded them that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So amen. Amen for the name of Jesus. Our last session together, and I want to say it has been a blessing to be with you. It really, really has. And I hope we've been an encouragement. Sorry, I got to get rid of that. I kept looking at that. It looked like a skinny man standing there, okay? <laughs> True joy is an uninhibited expression of delight in what God has done. Simca is bright and shining in the face. Massos has the idea of jumping and leaping, kind of like the man at the gate who was healed. Rena means to shout. And you know what gil means? The Hebrew word, it literally means this. It means to go around circles. It means basically, you ever do something just zany just to prove that you love life? I mean, my family, when my kids were growing up, we kept a little Tupperware uh, box in the back seat, and inside were four pair of glasses. So it would be my wife and I, my son, my daughter. Now, these glasses were really cool because they had a big nose and furry eyebrows and a mustache. All four of us would put them on. You're driving down the interstate, cars will pass you and then back up again. Or you go through a Wendy's drive through and it's great. It really is. Amber and I, we just love laughing. And guys, by the way, you've got to learn how to help your wife to laugh, okay? Learn how to do it. You know, traveling around, we're meeting with all these pastors, and we're sitting in these fancy restaurants, and I'll just let a little food hang out of my mouth, and she'll be kicking me underneath the table. <laughs> but I remember when we had our 25th wedding anniversary. Got to do something special, you know? 25 years, she's been, you know, hung out and put up with me, and we always go to, you know, Walmart to get our cards because they're 40% off, you know? But I figured after 25 years, we'd do something real special, so we went to the Hallmark store. Now, I don't know if you notice how men and women look at cards. They do it differently. Women, when they're at the card rack, they'll put, oh, isn't this cute? Oh, look at this. Oh, isn't that sweet? Guys don't. They pick it up and turn it around and go, oh, look at a little number in the back. <laughs> Two of these I could do out back. I don't understand that, you know. I couldn't find just one card to say what I really wanted to say, and I actually got two cards for Amber. I found out she did the very same thing. We went and met in another part of the Hallmark store. We swapped cards, read them, gave each other a big hug, went back to the card rack, put them back in, and left the store, okay? Now, you say, you're kind of crazy doing that kind of thing. Well, that is true. But I, my heart is burdened. And again, living in the midst of teens, because I, I, I don't see the joy in teens' lives anymore. And there's something stealing it. And then when I go from church to church and... I will say this retreat has been a little bit different because we have laughed and seemed to enjoy each other a lot. But, um, yeah, where does our joy go? Well, part of it is because of struggle. I mean, I have kids and adults saying, Rand, I really struggle in my walk with God. 
I do, and, and I, I hardly know what to do. Or something like this, they'll say, I, I really struggle with respecting and obeying my parents the way I really should. You know, the kids, they struggle with this. They want to do what is right, but they struggle. Or I struggle with temptation, and often I feel I fail more than I find victory. I really struggle with consistency in prayer, Bible study, memorization, meditation, all the spiritual disciplines that I know I should do. And we all serve people who know what it means to struggle. And we know what it means to struggle. But one thing that's kind of sad here is this word has gotten a bad rap. Did you know struggling is good? It's good. Because if you're struggling, it means you have not quit. If you're struggling, you haven't thrown in the towel. There's this guy in the Bible, his name's Paul, right? Did he win the race? Yes or no? Did he win the fight? Yes or no? The Bible never tells us. Never tells us he won. Tells us he ran the race. And you read Romans 7 real closely, and you'll find out that he tripped and fell, and he got back up, and he tripped and fell and got back up. He fought the fight, and he got knocked down, but he got back up. He got knocked down, but he got back up. He ran the race. He fought the fight. And if you study 2 Timothy very closely, you'll find out that even when he came across the finish line, there was no one there to even cheer him on. He ran, and he fought. When I was in high school, I wrestled, and I remember one of our wrestling meets, the coach came to me and he said, we're playing, we're, we're wrestling against our rival school. And he said, I hate to tell you this, but you have to wrestle the state champ. I said, do I got a chance to beat him? He said, nope, he'll kill you. <laughs> so what do you want me to do? He says, please, don't get pinned. He said, the match is going to be so close. And if you know anything about wrestling, you get points for a takedown and turn on all that. Well, he said, if you don't get pinned, we're going to win. All you have to do is keep from getting pinned. I mean, I squirmed and I rolled and I did everything. I knew I didn't get pinned and we won the match, okay? I didn't win the fight, but we won the match. And God doesn't want you guys to quit and get pinned by discouragement, by sin. He wants us and he wants the people that we serve to keep going. And here's how he does it. For the grace of God that brings salvation of the pure domain. Do you remember that day? When again you were overwhelmed with your wickedness and you cried out to God for forgiveness and he gave you forgiveness, you received it. But this grace of God, this divine enablement, this unmerited favor, it doesn't stop at salvation. God's divine enablement his help to us continues through our sanctification. Look what it does. The grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, right now, today, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Wow. God's grace not only saves us, but it enables us to please him in our present day. And it gives us the desire to look to the future, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what the grace of God does. It helps us to focus on the past and realize that God saved us from our sin, to focus on the future, realize we get to be with God someday, but actually to focus on the present because he will make us want to do what is right. For instance, 
This Philippians 2.13 to me is probably the best definition of grace I know. It is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. In other words, God puts it within us, Christian, through his spirit. He puts us within us both the desire and the power to please him. That which pleases him, his good pleasure, both to will, that's the desire, and to do, that's the power. Do you guys want to stay pure? Do you want to walk with God? Do you want to say no to sin, temptation? That's not normal. If that's in your heart already, the grace of God is already working in you. Isn't that cool? And he will give us that desire. And he said, Paul said, my, and he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, gladly, therefore, why rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Most of us, we make excuse for our weaknesses and our infirmities. When if we're honest, we say, Lord, I know I'm so weak. I want to do better. In fact, I couldn't even do this much if it wasn't for your grace. If you make it through a day and really do well and love your wife like you should and be in the word, that's the grace of God working in you already. That's pretty cool to realize that God loves us that very, very much. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. I want to read it again, but I'm going to stop. And every time I stop, I want you to say good and loud the next word, okay? God is able to make grace abound towards you that you having sufficiency in things may abound to good work. Uh Uh-oh. All, always, all, all, every. All, always, all, all, every. Did you know there's no excuse to sin? None. You'll never find in the Bible where the devil can make you sin, ever. You know why we sin? We choose to sin. God says, I'll tell you what, I will give you that divine enablement. I'll give you the will and the desire. Excuse me, I should say this. The desire and the power to please me. Every temptation, every time, every trial, every difficulty, I will be there for you. That's a precious verse. But it's also a very convicting verse, isn't it? My prayer for you, for me, for our ministries is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So if God promises to give us grace to focus on the past, the present, and the future, so if God says, I will divinely empower you and give you the desire every single time you go through a trial or temptation, then we have to ask this question, what would hinder me from being a recipient of God's enabling grace? I'm not talking about a saving grace here. What would hinder me? Why do we sin? Why do we give in to the flesh? What is it about that empowerment of God and the desire that God will give that is not there anymore? What would hinder me? Well, God tells us. He gives more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth who? And he only gives grace to who? Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. By the way, that is a promise. And God never breaks a promise. You resist the devil, he will run. But remember, he's not afraid of us, but he is afraid of our God. Do you remember the demons and that guy in Mark 5, the demoniac? Some call him the, the, the nude dude in a rude mood. You remember that guy? Okay. And, and understanding that all of a sudden these, these demons, 
they, they were begging him, Jesus. Why? Because they had to listen to him. How do we know? This is not the first time they met Jesus. He had already cast him out of heaven. They have to listen to him, okay? And that's encouraging to our hearts. You resist the devil, he'll flee. And then draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Guys, we can be as close to God as we want to be. Every one of us. We can be as close to God as we want to be. So, God's told us what he thinks about a proud heart. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. And whenever you read the word abomination, you should think hate, hate, hate. If you really want to know what God hates. And he says it's a proud look. You say, Rand, I would never roll my eyes or pretend I'm better than somebody else. Even though I may think it, I'd never do that. Well, everyone that is proud in heart is still an abomination to the Lord. Wow. Proud look or proud in heart. So we have to ask ourselves, am I proud? If God promises his divine enablement to give me the power, the desire to please him every time, all the time, but I still live in constant defeat, what is going on? And sometimes I think we are technically blinded to some of our selfish pride. When I went to New England, we had been with the Wilds for 30 years, and I was asked, humanly speaking, my wife and I, to do an impossible task, just to win against the government agencies to get any property zoned for a youth cramp in New England is almost impossible. And it it was just one of those things that I told my wife, said, let's just take two years and hang out in New England and rent camps because... I never ever thought we would ever have a camp. I thought we would rent a couple weeks and then go back and live in North Carolina. And God has shown that he had another thing in mind, obviously. But I remember driving up there and driving hours looking for properties and saying, Lord, I can't do this. And then I read this book by Stuart Scott, From Pride to Humility. It comes as an insert in the book, The Exemplary Husband. Guys, don't read it. Don't read it. You'll feel like a bum. I promise you, okay? And all of a sudden, I started seeing what he was doing. So you know what I did? I was scared. I really was. I said, Lord, I can't do this. And if you don't do it, it won't get done. But Lord, I I don't want to even be blinded to my pride that you resist or fight against what I'm doing. And so would you please show me the Secret manifestations of pride in my own life. I came up with 51. No, we're not going through them all today, okay? But I did pick out a couple that maybe maybe all of us struggle with. The first one is obvious, selfishness. How do I feel for all seek their own and not the things of Jesus Christ? God knows our struggles. And true love doesn't behave itself unseemly. It doesn't seek her own. And if I wake up in the morning and think about my comfort and my success and what I want to do with my free time and what I want to accomplish and all the fun I want to have, and you've heard the phrase, if mommy ain't happy, nobody happy, well, it can go for anybody, okay? 
if everything I think about is about me and how I feel and how people have been unfair to me, I'm being selfish. And my Bible says God resists the proud. He only gives grace to the humble. Do you know having a lack of gratitude is a sure manifestation of pride? Because that when they knew God, they glorified not a God, neither were they thankful. You see, we live in this entitlement world, don't we? And it bothers us big time, but then we all kind of fall into the trap of it. Everything I have, I deserve, I work for it. In fact, I probably deserve a little bit more. And all of a sudden, we forget to thank God for the breath that we breathe and another day to live. How many of you have ever been to the wilds in North Carolina? Let me see your hands. Okay, a lot of you have. They have a thing called a giant swing. Anybody been on that? It's sweet. You know what it is? We take both of you and put you in hang gliding harnesses. We'll take you up to the top of this room, go that high again, at which time it has an automatic release. When it releases, you two would fall about 20 feet free fall. It's close to bungee jumping as well. And then you begin to swing through the air back and forth. Don't you think you'd love to do that? They said yes. How many of you would like to do that? How many of you couldn't even get me on that thing, okay? Now, some people say, I'm not going to ride it because I don't want to get embarrassed swinging back and forth. I get a little sick. That's the cool thing about the ride. We have measured it. You are, when you drop, you're going 41 miles per hour. The centrifugal force is so amazing. If you ever did throw up, you would swallow it. Nobody would ever know, okay? So you don't ever have to worry about getting embarrassed. But we would play a little game when we run it. And I seriously, we'd take an hour and say, guys, let's count how many say thank you. Just for a game. It's not why we do it. And in a normal hour of time, it didn't matter if it was teens or adults. After they come down, the guy, you catch him. It's an awful lot of work to run that thing. And some, once in a while, there'd be two kids as I'm unhooking them. They'd turn to me and they'd go, thank you. I said, excuse me? They said, thank you. And I'd say, well, thank you for saying thank you. And they would say, thank you for saying thank you for saying thank you. And for the next three days, we know what we do. You ever just thank your wife that she doesn't get on you because you work too much, guys? Do you ever just thank her for supper? Ladies, you ever just thank your husband for being diligent in the ministry? And you know some of the pressures he goes through. Do you thank God often for his provision, for his salvation? If we get to the place where we think everything we have we deserve, we're proud. And God resists the proud. He only gives grace to the humble. Laziness is actually a sure sign, manifestation of pride. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. Here we read Psalm says, I went by the field of the slothful, by the vineyard of the man void of understanding, and lo, it was all grown over thorns and nettles that covered the face thereof, and the stone wall was broken down. Or for you teens and kids here, mom could rewrite this today. I went by the bedroom of my child, and behold, it was all grown over with green fuzzy things. The bed was unmade, and clothes were underneath the bed. And So, do you make your bed every morning? I'm not talking to you teens. I'm talking to you husbands. (laughs) You say, that's mom's job. Oh, like she's the slave of your castle, huh? Normally when we think of laziness, it it normally comes in with the way we take care of our 
vehicles or maybe our houses, but it goes much, much more deep than that. Have you gotten lazy in your prayer life? Have you gotten lazy in your devotional life? Have you gotten lazy in your thought life? You see, laziness means, God, I really don't care what you want. I don't care what my wife or husband wants. I want what I want. I don't want to be told what to do. I, I, I don't. Just leave me alone. And laziness proves that we put ourselves before others. It's a manifestation of pride. An angry and argumentative spirit is a sure sign of pride. Look what God says. Proud and haughty scorner is his name who deals in proud wrath. God actually gives a nickname to people who are angry all the time. He calls them proud and haughty. He that is of a proud heart stirs up strife. Only by pride comes contention. But with the well-advised wisdom, an angry man stirs up strife. And a furious man abounds in transgression. Are you an angry man? You say, Rand, I'm a pastor. So? Your kids know if you're angry. Your wife knows if you're angry. Moms, are you the kind... Are you the kind that blows up, just explodes? Or maybe you're the kind that holds it all in. Are you a powder or a shouter? Probably one of the two. And we can make whatever excuse that we're tired and we don't feel good. But what God says is, if you're angry or argumentative, get a question every little decision that is made or... You want to argue with other ministries and other pastors all the time. Rather than let them just answer before God, we, we feel like we have to let them know. I'm just saying if we have an angry or an argument of spirit, wow, that's pride. And even in our preaching, I hope you guys, when you deal with some really tough stuff, horrific sin, even preaching on hell, I hope you do it with a tear in your eye because I've even had kids and some speakers walk out and come to me and say, Rand, why is that man mad at me? Well, they're not, but they appear to be. And even our preaching, we better be careful because if you, and only you know your heart. I'm just saying, if you're an angry, argumentative person, God says you're proud. God resists the proud. Being devastated or defensive by criticism. Being unteachable. Yeah, even as pastors, right? Because we've studied and we know what we need to do and we get defensive when somebody wants to criticize us. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scorner hears not rebuke. Hear counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in the latter end. Sometimes even when our wives want to confront us because they live with us, guys, and they know us well. But we don't like that, do we? We get all bristly and then they clam up and they don't tell us really what we probably need to hear. Or if, pa- if one of your men of your church comes say, Pastor, can we talk? Okay, here's how some of the people... It's a perception, but here's how they took the message you preached on Sunday. Does it make you want to fight? Or to stand back up the next service and say, 
I understand that many of you perceive this. I'm sorry. That was not my intent. That was not my heart. Have you ever walked into your child's room and said, hey, bud, I need to ask your forgiveness. You heard mom and I last night, and I've already asked God to forgive me. I asked mommy to forgive me. But I need to ask you because daddy was in sin. He should have never talked to your mom like that. Do you ever do that? Where you're just going to let your heart be teachable, but we don't fight against such criticism. And if you're in a ministry long enough, you know, you know you're going to get criticized. And for you wives, by the way, you know, some of us men, if they come to me and they criticize me, I say, oh, thank you, thank you. I'm thinking, boy, that guy's dumb. He doesn't know what he's talking about, okay? I just brush it off. But you wives can't do that. Because you hear somebody attacks your husband and you want to fight for him and you hold a grudge against it and you've got to be really, really careful on that, okay? Just, just say thank you and go on. Did you know believing that secret sins are no big deal is a manifestation of pride? All sin is a manifestation of pride. And when I put here the question, what is the sin of Sodom? I did that on purpose because when we see this, immediately our mind goes to the immorality that was involved in those passages. But actually God's word tells us that was not, the immorality was only a fruit of their problem. Do you know what their problem was? Ezekiel tells us, behold, this was the sin or the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. And she strengthened the hand of the poor and needy. They were haughty, and they committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. They were selfish. They had everything they needed, and they had nothing to do. That is a recipe for disaster for our lives and for our kids' lives. Selfish, everything we need, nothing to do. So how do we combat that? Well, let's teach our kids to give. And let's keep them busy. You commit your works unto the Lord and your thoughts will be established. One of the cool things about counseling at a summer camp because you're with these kids and you're hearing the preaching and you're with them all day long. And by the time you get to bed, you're so tired, you fall asleep. Saturday comes. All the kids leave. You, you, you got to clean the camp and then you're like too tired to sin. So you just eat some pizza, do your laundry and take a nap. Monday comes back and you start all over again. It is a wonderful, wonderful way. You're almost too tired to rebel. And it's good to be busy, guys. It really, really is. It is really good to stay so busy. And our kids, I mean, keep them busy. Have them take music lessons, sports. Teach them to, to work with their hands and how to use tools. And have them take guitar lessons or piano lessons or even a clarinet, okay? Teach them to play clarinet. What's the difference between a clarinet and a lawnmower? You can tune a lawnmower, okay? Anyway, whatever it might be. But honestly, this is, a re- this is why so many of our kids are getting in trouble. Because they got four or five hours to play video games. And it tears them up. In our home, we had a very simple... Now, of course, my son's 40, almost 42. So back then, it was just Atari. Remember? Little fuzzy guys, RBI baseball. 
hey, Dad, I got this new game, and it's going to take an hour to beat. I said, that's cool. You know what you need to do? He had to earn game time by reading. And it wasn't even from the Bible. I said, you read an hour, you can play an hour. But this game will take two hours. No problem. Read for two hours, and you get to play for two hours. That's how we simply did it in our home. Now he has his own kids, and Sebby is 10. He gets 20 minutes of iPad time, and I watch him. Did you ever do that with God? And I, and I, I wish I could say I do it more, but the other morning, I had to be at work at 8.30. I was going to meet with my wife at 8. I got up early, and I was so into Philippians. I kept going, stink, I only have a half hour more, you know. And I wish I would honestly feel like that more, where we keep so busy. We do. We go to bed tired. That is a good thing. But I hope you guys don't have a secret sin. Because you have to understand, when you're caught and you go down, do you realize how many others you take with you? Man, if he couldn't live for God, there's no way I can. Yeah. Neglecting to ask for forgiveness is a sure manifestation of pride. Therefore, if thou bringest thy gift to the altar, you come to worship, and you remember that thy brother hath aught anything against you. Leave your gift at the altar, go first thy way, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. We all realize and understand that forgiveness is not unconditional. Forgiveness is conditional. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. So i got a question for all of us. Is there anyone on this earth that you refuse to forgive? Anyone at all? Former church member that hurts you? Former family member that really hurts you? Is there anyone on this earth that, that literally you refuse to forgive? Because this verse plainly says when you come to worship, to sing, to pray, to preach... And in your heart you have anything. Don't preach. Don't pretend. Don't pray. Don't give. Don't sing. Go make it right to that person. Then come back. Sometimes there's like stress on a Sunday morning. And you leave the house kind of intense. I hope you guys go to your wife and say, Hun, I'm sorry. I was so selfish this morning. We can talk about this later. But oh. You know, it's heavy on my heart, and and I don't want it to hinder sharing the word today. At least set up a time to talk about that later that day, okay? But this whole idea of neglecting to forgive, you say, Rand, you don't know what they did to me. I was raised with a simple phrase, forgive and say it. Is that biblical? When we got saved, did God forget our sins? That's what I was taught. That's what the song says. And I, I'm sorry, but the kids I counsel, teenage girls who have been molested, and you tell me they can forget that? Stuff that happened to me when I was growing up that I won't even mention, 
that I can forget. I did. I lived guilty because I would say, God, I want to forget. Will you make me forget? But because I couldn't forget, I realized that I was still in sin. And I did. I just thought there's, there's no hope. But then when God started really working my heart, when I like shared earlier around 27, I all of a sudden thought about some of the theology I was learning about God. God is omniscient. He knows everything in the future and the past and the present. How can anyone who knows everything forget anything? God is immutable. That means he is unchanging. He's immutable in his love. He never loves me more when I'm really, really good or less when I'm really, really bad. He's immutable in his knowledge. He never increases or decreases knowledge. God cannot forget. You say, wait, wait, wait. Doesn't the Bible say that he forgets? No. This is what it says. Your iniquity as I separate as far as the east is from the west, and I will bring it to my remembrance no more. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is a promise. Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus. God says, I will never, ever, ever, ever bring it back up to you again. Ever. It's done. Judiciously, it's been taken care of. It's been paid for. It's gone. I'm thinking, okay, I can do that. I can. It's not forgetting, but it's realizing that I won't bring it up against them ever again. But some of us will say, well, Rand, the hurt is so bad, I don't feel like it. Yeah. And even some of you probably, when you sin, don't raise your hand, have you ever asked God to forgive you something like a thousand times? Do we need to? No. If we confess our sins, he is, what's the next word? Faithful. Then how do you deal with this? How do you deal with the concept of, I, I, I pray, I ask God to forgive me, but then because of the circumstances, the consequences, they're so heavy, I'm thinking, oh, why did, it? oh, Lord, Lord, again. And we want to ask him again and again and again because we feel bad. Here's what you do instead. Believe what the Bible says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive. Ask God one time to forgive you. But then when you're overwhelmed with the consequences of what you did and how foolish it was and the fear that somebody else may even find out, here's what you do. You thank God for having forgiven you 999 times. It goes like this. Lord, oh, I blew it in that meeting yesterday. I did. I got angry. You know, everybody else knows. I've asked them for forgiveness. And Lord, Thank you for forgiving me. I asked you and you did thank you. And that's still an expression of faith, okay? That you're thanking God for having forgiven you. So forgiveness is not forgetting, it's a promise. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a promise. So we got to ask the question then. If God resists the proud and he only gives grace to the humble, can I be humble? One verse, and we're done. To this man will I look, even to him that is poor, the word means humble, and of a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. God says, I'm looking for somebody in California. Somebody who is humble. I must be God-dependent at all times and remind myself of my need to depend on God 
every single morning. Lord, I need you. I need you. This is what humility is all about. I can't do it in my own strength. I need you, Lord. Please help me. But also he who is contrite of spirit. I must crush my selfish attitudes and be broken to the point of denying self and consistently putting God and others first in my life. The concept of being contrite means to pulverize in the dust. You can't even put it back together. He who trembles at my word. I must recognize that God's word has the final say. And I should tremble at even the thought of purposely disobeying it. Yeah. This is a picture of humility. If you struggle in your ministry, you struggle in your life, it's okay. It's okay. If you depend on the wonderful, precious grace of God to see you through. I hope that this coming year, since it is our last year on earth, 22, chapter 22, I hope that it is the greatest spiritual year you guys have ever experienced in your life, in your ministry. I really do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together these past two days. And your word is so precious. It's so powerful. Lord, you've convicted us and you've comforted us. You've made us smile and you've brought some tears to our hearts. But we thank you so much that you love us enough. and You're so patient with us, so long-suffering. So I pray, dear Lord, that you would just help us to take the simple truths that we have learned even these two days and we've been reminded of May it encourage our hearts for weeks to come. Now, we do pray that you'd come quickly, Lord Jesus. We really want that. And we're not looking for a rescue or anything like that. Lord, we just want to be with you and walk with you and work for you without being hindered with the world, the flesh, and the devil. We look forward to that time when the world will be new, the flesh will be gone, and the devil will be locked up. We look forward to that time when we can freely without any selfishness and any sin, honor and praise you. Would you please put your hand of protection on every ministry, every pastor represented here. Lord, put some comfort in the hearts of their wives who have been just so faithful in encouraging these guys. And give us, could you give us fruit for our labors? And I know I'm being a little selfish here, but even visible fruit. We'd love to see some more people visit our church and churches and, and, and commit their lives to you. and We'd love to see that, Lord. I pray that you would bring a Timothy into the life of each pastor here so that five years from now, each one of them will be able to see their input on that one individual and how that individual is now out there serving and finding Timothys of his own. So thank you for our time together. And may all of us walk closer with you because of our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Dan.